Greetings, this is Kurt. Welcome to the second part of the three divisions of Book One. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back and start with Episode One of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. Otherwise, please make yourself comfortable as we continue the performances. As always, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and share on your favorite platform. Comments or questions directed to our email will be answered promptly. If you care to help in keeping these complex productions coming, please buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com slash the Harkin Theater. Unlike my wife's favorite morning beverage, me, I prefer tea with cream and sugar, the donation website coffee.com is spelled ko-fi.com slash the Harkin Theater. Refer to episode descriptions for the exact address, our email, and our secure website. And thank you for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling Part 2 Agents of the Dark One A Prince's Second Sojourn Chapter 6 Gaewon? The crescent moon emerged from behind a wisp of cloud. Paul and Marie surveyed the entire terrace and the festival hall, but could not find the enchanter. A distant crier's call signaled the late hour. The evening gala neared its end. Disconcerted with Gaewon's sudden disappearance, yet aware they could do nothing about it, they decided to retire for the night. They strolled quietly through the festival hall and ascended the wide marble stair. The king had also departed, apparently, and the orchestra played slower pieces to help unwind the excitement. Many of the remaining guests lingered around the refreshment tables and engaged in conversation. Paul and Marie met the doorman again, his expression somewhat haggard from an evening of genuflecting. Pardon, Lord? Yes? Paul stopped and turned to him. I don't wish to interrupt you and the lady, but would you know where your... your mage friend has gone? I did not see him leave, and yet... Paul regarded the fellow with a gracious smile. Ah, the enchanter to whom you refer departed earlier. He didn't want to cause you problems by remaining too long. His business was with me, specifically, and not to intrude on the gathering. Used to arrogant young mages flaunting their colorful balls of light, the doorman's eyebrows shot up with surprise, and his death grip on the door latch loosened visibly. My lord, he is a kind one. He offers you his thanks for your consideration. Regaining his composure, the servant bowed stiffly. I beg your forgiveness for disturbing you, Lord. Think nothing of it. Paul turned away and escorted Marie down the long corridor. She squeezed his arm gently, glad for his thoughtfulness. Anything to improve diplomatic relations. Indeed. They need it. The clear lamps overhead burned brightly, defying the late hour. As they walked, Paul marveled at the construction and the effort expended in quarrying, transporting, setting, and laying so much marble and stone without the convenience of machines. Marie led him into an adjoining wing of the palace where her chamber waited among the other rooms reserved for those in royal service. Neither spoke 
as they ambled along through archways, massive intersections with crotched ceilings, and a wide spiral stair leading down to the ground floor. Both were reluctant to end the evening together. Arriving at the door to her chamber, she looked up at him. What will you do now? He smiled sweetly. Not leave you alone, of course. Seeing the subdued alarm in her eyes, he added, That's not what I meant. I will stay here, outside the door. She glanced at the floor. Here? That's not exactly fitting, especially when you consider the arrangements the king make for you. Hey, I'm a demigod, remember? It's like the old joke, where does a grizzly bear sleep? He enjoyed the puzzlement in her expression. Anywhere he wants. You're no grizzly bear. You haven't seen me at my worst. He took her in his arms. I have chosen you. Therefore, I will protect you like a mama bear protects her cubs. Then you're serious about staying out here all night? With round eyes, she pictured any number of palace officials that might happen by. Just as serious as you were when you drank Gaywan's potion. He looked deep into her eyes. She smiled back awkwardly, unsure of herself, and became keenly aware of how quiet the corridor was with its wall sconces flickering in the draft. Seeing her hesitation, Paul realized his intensity and loosened his arms around her. I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to... No. She pulled him close and hugged him tight. Please don't pull away. Don't ever go. They embraced for a long time, with only the faint sound of a faraway door closing to interrupt the quiet surrounding them. He nuzzled her dark hair almost out of reflex and noted the clean scent of wildflowers. She eased back a little and looked into his face under the fitful flame of the nearby sconce and gazed deep into his bright, near-oval-shaped eyes. There was something between them, something deep and warm, with an intensity that had not been there before. What is it? You did something tonight that no man has ever done. You said you loved me. I just want you to know that I appreciate and respect it, and I will count on it. He could think of nothing with which to respond and was inwardly chagrined with his lack of eloquence in such a moment. He was used to shy, unassuming college girls, not a mature, self-sufficient young woman, even if she was a messenger on a world that, at best, was medieval in its development. Feeling suddenly very unsure of himself again and at a loss for what to do, he lowered his face and pressed his mouth to hers. She responded readily, accepting and returning the kiss. As they embraced, he felt any remaining doubts fall quiet. Like the churning high tide rushing into a cove, he felt the uncertainty replaced by an overwhelming attraction to the woman he held in his arms. Her honest, loving response was the rain for his parched soil of emotions. Two, she relished in the attention as affection for him warmed to new depths. Some part of her decided where she belonged was by his side. But this was almost too much, too fast, and she released him to step back, then turned and opened her door. Sleep well. His words drew at her, tugged her back, and she wrapped her arms around him once more. I'll be right here if you need anything. She looked into his eyes again, fighting down the instinctive urge to push back, to protect herself from hurt. Promise? Promise. The fortress city streets were much quieter now, except for those taverns or gathering places still serving to late evening revelers. Astride his steed, with Marie's horse alongside, Enchanter Gaywan approached the south gate, the only portal still open at this time of night. Though fatigued from his long day, he was keenly aware of the danger stalking him and Bomalai if he remained anywhere near foreign. 
He nodded to the guardsmen on duty, who waved him onward almost as an afterthought, their concerns centering more on who entered than who departed the city. Just as he was about to pass under the open portcullis, he pulled back on the reins. Malidon wickered inquisitively and pricked his ears to the sounds of the road leading out into the night. Something's not right, he replied to his steed. Why must we leave, and so soon? His intuition was the channel for the urge to run, but no explanation, vague or otherwise, had been offered. Times before, when he had felt danger, there had been accompanying images of what threatened him, what would be if he did not change course. One of the guardsmen on duty sauntered over and shifted his halberd to a yielded position. Need directions, friend? <sighs> of a sort, Gawan said with a half-smile at the fellow. But none you can offer, I fear. The young warrior regarded the elf horse appreciably and reached out to pet his neck. Nice-looking animal. Have the roads been clear? <clears throat> Lately, yes. With all the brass helms coming to the city for the celebration, the royal patrols were increased. No highwaymen that we've heard of lately, and Grems haven't been seen for several moons. Gawan raised his eyebrows. Hmm, how fortunate. A wry voice in the back of his mind wanted to ask if there were any specters. You've got an easy ride any direction you go. <laughs> Thanks. I'm just trying to decide if I really should go right now. Taking in the unsaddled horse tethered to Gawan's, the guardsman grinned knowledgeably. If she was pretty enough to make you think about it, she's pretty enough to wake up next to. <laughs> you may be right. He made his decision, nudged Malay's sides, and wheeled around to head back into the city. Thanks. Right, friend. The soldier waved with a laugh and returned to his post. Hearing just how easy were the roads leading away made Gawan reconsider the situation and the mysterious urge to run. The specter had tried to prevent him from coming to the city in the first place. Perhaps during his contact with it a suggestion had been planted in his subconscious to get away in order that he not be here when he was most needed, when he would be able to carry out Rothson's last request to its fullest. Though he had found Paul somewhat abrasive at their meeting, he didn't dislike the fellow, and he could see that Marie was a wonderful young woman with a pure heart. And the two of them did love each other, however unlikely the circumstance of their coupling. In fact, Paul's anger and frustration at not knowing what was going on had been a reflection of his own when he faced the specter earlier. If not for the psychic connection he had made with the entity, he would not now know what was happening and why, nor would he have been given the foresight to remove Marie's horse from the proximity of the specter's likely attack. But he could not interfere further with the specters and their task, nor could he warn Paul and Marie specifically. To do so would be to violate the same universal laws that had destroyed Rothson. Not that a warning would make any difference. And yet, knowledge is power. With that power, there had to be some way he could help them. A change of plans, my friend, he said to Malay. Let's take Bomalai to a hiding place and return to the palace. And please explain this to him. Malay blew in reply and picked up his pace, following the winding cobblestones up the gradual incline between joined houses to the western quarter of Foran. Paul watched Marie as she entered her room, waved at him, and softly closed the door. The clunk of the latch seemed somehow ominous, yet he knew there was nothing he could do about it. Determined to stay awake all night for her sake, he shook off the fatigue pulling at him and, after removing, folding, and arranging his tabard as a cushion on the stone floor, settled himself next to her door. He listened to the distant sounds of the sleepy palace while occupying his mind with the vivid images and ornate regalia of the festival hall. The wall across from him flickered like a film slowing down, blackness flashing intermittently. Then he heard footsteps echoing off the rough-hewn stone floor. He walked in a dark corridor chiseled out of old rock, 
Torches crackled in rusty cressets along the wall, the spaces between the undulating pools of light as dark as ink blots. Shadows wriggled beside him as he wandered further down the windowless hall. It was like being deep inside a mountain. Lost, he stopped and turned to look behind, but saw only a reflection of what lay ahead, no end in sight. Far behind him, the torches were snuffed out, one by one. Something terrible was coming. He continued forward. Branching left and right, the hall ended in a large door with a carved gargoyle's head leering out at him. Not knowing why, he raised his fist and knocked twice. Somewhere above, he observed his own actions. Where was he? Where was Marie? The door creaked and snapped on ancient hinges as it opened to reveal a room lit only by the torchlight from the hall. On the far side, another door slammed shut with a resounding boom. Behind him, the lights kept going out. Something followed him. Blackness swallowed everything. Uncertain, he tried to decide which way to go. He had to get away from the invisible force stalking him. Paul! He leaped across the floor and grabbed the door latch, but it refused to budge. He turned to see the carved gargoyle's eyes focused on him, its thin lips pulled tight over yellow teeth, a forked tongue drooling out of its mouth. Be gone, Otherwilder. This is not for you. The last of the torches in the hall were going out. He would have to run or stand. Paul, help! He shook the latch then rammed his shoulder hard against the door, but the wood was thick and staunch, refusing him entrance. Avant, intruder, or meet your doom. Paul clutched his shoulder in pain. Gaywan! A goblet, aglow with a colorful potion, appeared between him and the door. Drink now if you dare. Your time is no more. Paul grabbed for the cup. His fingers passed through it. Tilting, the goblet poured forth a swirling mist and passed through the locked door. He followed, finding the door suddenly insubstantial, a hovering ghost of what was just a moment before. In the next chamber, the cup poured its contents to the floor. The walls were checkered with pale stone slabs three hands square and looked too much like an ancient vault for the dead. A boom shook the floor from behind, and Paul spun around to see a wall where the door had been. Meanwhile, a shimmering pool of mist gathered in the center of the floor. The scent of roses curled about his nose. A flower bed emerged from the pool. Marie knelt in its midst. She wore a simple yellow shift and was smelling flowers, first one bloom, then another. Paul watched and stood very still. She stopped at the largest flower, a dark red rose, and peered at it from all angles, appreciating the velvet textures and sparkling dewdrops. She touched her finger to each soft petal. Then, as she bent the stem to smell the bloom, a thorn cut one of her fingers. She recoiled and stared at her bleeding finger, then sucked on it fretfully. The aura of color constituting the flower bed mottled with brown as a cancer fed off its glow. Movement just beyond the perimeter of light caught his eye. He shivered as he felt death approach. A man wearing a white jumpsuit stepped close. He had no mouth and no nose, his eyes glinting red. His shadow withered all the blooms. Horrified, Marie dropped her rose as she watched all the flowers wilt, turn brown, and drop from their stems. Except the offending rose, its thorns enlarging like growing claws. She hid her face in her hands and cried. <laughs> the intruder drew a curved sword smoothly out of the air and held the blade aloft with both talons. A low, eerie chant weaved its way from the mouthless face that looked up to the unseen ceiling. Baldriat knolongi sen 
quadrat consacri lagato. As he stood there dumbly, Paul saw cryptic engravings glow with a pulsing ruddy fire along the sword's blade as the intruder sang the dissonant words. The blade was poised in cutting position. Marie was going to die. No! He leaped into the pool of fading light and plummeted into a black pit. Chapter 7 Paul! Marie jerked awake. She sat up in bed and clutched her arms tightly across her bosom. What was I dreaming? And where is he? She fully expected him to burst into her room, but there was nothing. Cold penetrated the darkness, and she was covered in sweat. (sighs) She glanced out the mullioned window and could discern streaks of rain. She should have felt more at ease upon reaffirming her bearings. She had experienced nightmares before, but her sixth sense was ringing alarms. Just as she was about to get up and fetch a light from the hall, she detected movement near the door. God, who be there? She stared wide-eyed into the darkness. A flicker of lightning outside revealed three ominous shapes standing at the wall. Her blood ran cold, and her breath caught in her throat. Spectres! Jaywan had been correct. She was going to die, just like Rothson. What do you want? Closure! Trembling from fear and cold, she pulled her legs under herself and made ready to spring. Debts must be paid. Debts? She eased the bed covers aside. All components of Otherworld contact will be destroyed. There will be no new order. Balance will be restored. Marie could sense them moving closer in the dark. Components? You must die. Something jolted her intuition and she leaped out of the bed. Behind, she heard the thick headboard crack and shatter. Splinters flew in her wake. Standing in her bare feet, her skin tingling with fire, she held out her hands and spoke in the hope of protection, a holy name of the Freethinkers. Zetar! To her amazement, a band of bright yellow light appeared between her and the intruders, illuminating the chamber with an unearthly glow. She experienced a fleeting sense of power and guessed this was how mages would feel. A freethinker team has died. I have done nothing. The faceless hood lifted slightly and focused on her. You acted freely as a component of the event. It pointed a talon. Debt for breach of universal law and initiation of a new order must be paid. The entities shifted and stood in a semicircle just outside the horizontal shaft of light. Zetar! Marie hoped to reinforce the apparent shield of light. The spiritual name you call will protect soul in its translation from this plane. But your physical shell will be destroyed. This incarnation ended. Dismayed and frightened of their decree, she remembered their first encounter on the other world and wished suddenly that she had Bomalai to take her away. In that instant, her thought was impaled on hopelessness. An image came of her beloved equine companion lying motionless in his stall, his head twisted at an impossible angle, his eyes staring unseeing into the night. No! Bomalai! She put a hand to her mouth as hot tears burned her eyes. Never again would she feel the power of his form beneath her, the confidence of his attention upon her. And now she would die too. Her vision blurred. Where is Paul? Did they kill him to get past him in the hall? Coinciding with this question in her mind, she watched in wonder as a thin cord of rose-colored light became visible and reached from somewhere in the center of her chest out into the chamber and beyond. Though used to seeing mages play with light, she had no idea what this meant 
unaware that the clash of spiritual and psychic energies between her and the specters made psychic bonds manifest visibly. She has been joined with the otherworlder. Separation and extraction will be energies reinforced dynamics. Only one before perish is completed. She dashed for the door. Paul must be alive, but where is he? She yanked furiously on the latch, but the door refused to budge. After clawing uselessly at the lock, she spun around and pressed her body against the door's frame. The cool stone chilled her skin through her chemise. With interest, she noticed how the barrier of yellow light had moved with her, forcing the specters aside. Perhaps she had a chance despite what they said. The white-robed entities turned with slow, silent deliberation and raised their crimson talons as if in supplication. Their claws gripped and tugged at the air. The sudden emptiness within her chest brought with it a numb blackness and the room spun away. She came to on her knees a moment later, her heart fluttering from having skipped several beats. The specters had resumed their semicircle around her, their talons continually plucking at the air, as if drawing her life out of her. Behind them, where their shadows mimicked silently, Marie could see by the fading barrier of light the scattered remains of her bed's headboard, utterly demolished. She knew then she had no hope of stopping their power. Not wanting to watch their mad gyrations, as they bled the life from her. She turned her side to them and touched her hand to the unyielding door in waning hope. Paul? Bare feet slapped the cold stone floor as Paul, in a foggy state of half-wakefulness, searched his way through the maze of palace corridors. Where is Marie's chamber? The best he could guess, he had fallen asleep and had sleepwalked his way into the underground keep of the palace. He had awakened standing almost naked in the center of the royal vault where their dead kings were entombed. How he had found his way there, or what had happened to his clothes, he did not know. I probably don't want to find out. Though well kept, the chamber had made his skin crawl, more so as he had stumbled his way out and up. No one was around. No guards, no servants. Worse, he knew something terrible was happening. Marie! He glanced down passing corridors and up spiral stairs, none familiar, all strangely quiet. She's in danger! Guessing he was still at least one level down from the ground, he had yet to see any windows. He dashed up the next stair he found. The upper floor had wider corridors. He stopped at a large intersection and took a long look down each hall, seeking something familiar. He slapped his thigh in frustration as the cold floor numbed his toes. His eyes were drawn to a flaming sconce flickering in a draft. Within the flame he could make out three formless shadows. <laughs> Suddenly he was on all fours. <sighs> He clutched a hand to his chest in alarm as he felt his heart palpitating wildly. He struggled to resist the weakness stealing through him. Marie! In his stupor, he found himself looking at a discarded tunic, his own, crumpled against the wall. I came this way. Beyond it was an archway with steps leading up half a level before the corridor continued. They weren't familiar, but then everything looked the same now. He tried to stand and walk, but stumbled from the dizziness enveloping his head. On his knees, he wondered at the hollowness of his limbs, then noticed he could not feel the blood pulsing through his veins. His heart fluttered as if it had forgotten how to function. Life drained out of him. No! Marie! He pounded his chest in panic, afraid of dying where he sat. A sound weaved its way through the air, distant and faint. A strange mantra spoken in dissonant harmony, like Gregorian chant out of kilter. Move! He fell forward on his hands and crawled toward the steps. 
The floor burned his palms with cold fire as a voice from memory recalled the written words of a war veteran. If you feel pain, you're still alive. He jammed his knuckles against the bottom step and was grateful for the sharp aching in his bones. Move! He clambered awkwardly on all fours slowly up the short stair, skinning his knees as he barely cleared the edges. I'm taking too long. Somehow he reached the top and spied a door farther down the hall. Was, was that where we kissed? The burning sconce above the folded tabard on the floor was like a beacon. Marie! Paul tried to run for the door, but the emptiness within his ribcage and the paralyzing numbness seeping into his gut denied him any strength. Blackness swam around him for a moment, and he came to lying prostrate on the floor, feeling like an old man with death's cloak drawing near. Marie! His desire offered some fiber of strength, and he dragged himself along the floor, gasping for air with each movement, his muscles screaming for blood and oxygen. The door came toward him with excruciating slowness until finally he was upon it. He shoved himself up against it, pulled his head back, and lifted a leaden arm to the latch while fighting the torturous contraction that worsened in his chest. The latch would not move, and he spent his last shred of energy yanking desperately on it. Marie! Utterly exhausted, he slid down the unyielding portal. I can't reach her. As he leaned against the door, he wondered who would find his body. Who found Rothson's? Then he remembered the other enchanter. Did he perish as well? Did some dark force snatch him from the terrace and destroy him? If anyone could help me now, he could. Gaywan! The firm surface supporting Paul swung away all of a sudden. He felt a warm body lying next to him. At the same time, his pulse strengthened and steadied. He shifted to look at Marie in her chemise beside him. Her eyes fluttered as if waking from a long sleep. He rested a hand on her side. Marie? She looked beaten, and her face was streaked with tears as she rested her weary gaze gratefully upon him. He glanced into the chamber just as the hallway sconces went out, his gut knotting in terror at the three specters, one with a whip, two with curved swords glinting viciously. They were already moving toward him when the lights went. Their words carried an undercurrent of malice and determination, like a tribal war chant. His energy restored somehow, Paul sat up and gathered Marie's limp form in his arms. He could feel the entities looming over them in the darkness, and he was ready to lunge away from the chamber entrance when instinct made him sprawl across the floor to cover her body with his own. Sparks flew as a sword cut into the doorframe and sent splinters of red-hot stone scattering across the floor. The brief flash enabled Paul to see the attacker's positions, and he gauged the opportunity for escape. Scrambling up with Marie in his arms, he ducked and jumped out into the hall. Blackness swallowed them. Though he could not see them, he was keenly aware of the stairs to his right, now a treacherous obstacle in the dark. He chose left, turning and moving as fast as he dared. If he could just find a way outside, he could change form and fly away, maybe to the circle of stones and a possible gateway home. He toyed briefly with the thought of shape-changing right there, but was sure the hall was not large enough for his altar form to have any effectiveness. More probably, I'll be trapped. He had gone only a few paces when he felt their malevolent presence ahead of him. Unable to see anything, he debated on whether to turn and risk the stairs. The image of a specter flashed in the space before him as it lashed a whip viciously across his body. Searing pain burned across his left bicep and his back as he turned in a vain effort to deflect the blow. 
Warm fluid began running down his arm. Behind him flashed another specter, thrusting its sword hilt at his torso. Paul jumped aside and smacked against a wall. His eyes burned with after-images of the attacks, ghosts wavering in front of him, and he squinted uselessly into the dark. His arms were beginning to tire from carrying Marie. Panicked, he shot straight out from the wall he was against and quickly met the opposite, then spun in place. How can I outwit the specters? Why don't they just kill me? He puzzled over this while wary of the next attack. Marie shifted in his arms and touched her fingers to his face. Vitor! Paul watched with amazement as a barrier of light sprang up and illuminated the hall, encircling between them and the specters. Marie smiled weakly. Twill hold them only for a moment. What can we do? I wish I knew. Paul noticed that though the specters halted their attack for the moment, the barrier holding them back faded as he talked. His arms ached despite Marie's light weight. Damn it, I'm not an enchanter. Then he remembered how the locked door had mysteriously opened. Gaywan! A translucent sphere of yellow light appeared in the air above the diminishing barrier. I hear you, my friend. Paul glanced around, curious if the enchanter was nearby, throwing his voice again. Where are you? The specters hovered just beyond the sphere, seeming reluctant to approach, though their weapons remained poised for attack as they weaved in rhythm with their chanting. I am with you for the moment. Help us! Can you send away the specters? I cannot intervene, my lord. Rawson did once. Paul immediately felt foolish. And he was destroyed for such action. This time you came here by your own will, aided by the power of your desire for Marie. For that, a price must be met. Price? His eyes swelled with unwanted tears. Is that what you call this? It's not like I knew what I was doing. He lowered Marie to allow her to stand beside him. Nevertheless, you have crossed boundaries. You are a threat to the balance of forces. But they're going to kill Marie. In order to sever that link by which you traverse realms. Paul tried to slip down the passage, but specters blocked every direction. He ignored the spreading numbness in his wounded arm and pulled Marie close to his side. God damn it, Gaywan, this isn't fair. Nothing is ever fair. Stop running and think. The sphere dimmed. I cannot hold them back. You possess the ability to defeat the darkness. Focus yourself on truth. Truth? What is truth? What is truth? God damn you. He raised his fists as he glanced back and forth at the fading light and the approaching specters. What is truth? Light. Marie remembered the lessons of the Freethinkers. What is fear? Darkness. What is Marie? Paul looked down at the young woman gazing up at him, seeing in her eyes that he was all that truly mattered. Love. What are you? Me? I'm... I'm me. I'm... I'm the Prince of Light. Can the night extinguish a lighted candle? A glimmer of understanding shone in Paul's thoughts. No. Therein lies your answer. Gaewan's sphere of light faded rapidly, then winked out. A cold witchlight limbed the moving specters. They advanced with a fervor of hungry beasts on ascent. Paul raised a hand. Stay back. Hold him. The entity with a barbed whip flicked a claw. Paul was slammed brutally against the wall. <clears throat> Dazed for a moment, and unable to move against the terrific force holding him to the hard stone, he watched the lead specter make a clawing motion in the air with its talons. Marie fell to the floor, her arms tight around her stomach. With the strength of desperation, Paul slipped out from beneath the pressure, rolled himself in her direction, and dropped over her to shield her body with his. Sharp points dug mercilessly into his back, then withdrew. 
This is not for you, Otherworlder. Do not interfere. She must die. They don't want to kill me. Paul seized the opportunity and grabbed Marie. He lifted her up as he stood and tore himself away from the wall, hoping to gain some distance. I need time to think. The barbed whip cracked. Fire bit into his back. Release her. She must die. Paul squeezed his eyes shut until he saw stars and nearly dropped Marie, the pain of the whip more excruciating than he could have imagined. Fresh blood oozed down his back as he lowered her beside him again. Marie held her hands around his good arm. Paul, don't let them do this. Step away, boy. Paul opened his eyes to the bright sun burning down on him. He stood protectively between three men and Marie. Disoriented, he glanced around, seeing a forest choked with brambles on one side and an expansive field of corn on the other. His body was drenched with sweat from the oppressive heat. Mosquitoes whined around his ears, and he stared in disbelief at the pale-skinned men in the sweat-stained shirts and dark pants. Did you hear me, boy? Or is he just stupid? He spat tobacco juice at his feet and recoiled a whip. You ain't one of ours. You don't belong around here, and that's a fact. What's doing on our land, huh? Looking for food? There's just enough for us and none for you. Must be uppity-bound, fellers. He must escape from his mama's fields, thinking there's somewhere else to go. Looks like we all's gonna have to teach y'all a lesson. Paul tried to comprehend the sudden change of situation. Marie shook him from behind. Paul, don't let them hurt you. The farmer drew back his whip. This here's what runaways get for their trouble. Now step away from her. Paul only shook his head with narrowed eyes at the spectacle. It was too familiar. Stories about my great-great-grandfather, the one who had escaped slavery during the Civil War and used the Underground Railroad to find his way to the northern states and freedom. He tried to understand... The specters could not get to Marie because of him, yet they refused to kill him in order to reach her. Now they used images from his memory to force submission. What did Gaywan say about specters and a price to be met? Then he was struck by what Marie and the first farmer had said. If this world be your home, then it has yet to accept you. You ain't one of ours. You don't belong around here, and that's a fact. He was not of this world, yet. The specters had no real power over him. Their only recourse was to kill Marie, thereby removing the key that had guided him here twice. Marie, too stunned by the abrupt change in the environment to do anything other than keep a tight hold on Paul, watched as he grinned confidently. I am not yours to command. I will not submit to you. The farmer froze in mid-stroke, his expression of consternation vanishing with his face. The hot sun winked out, and a cold draft settled once again over the corridor. Paul felt a new heat surging through his veins, anger at the specters for invading his mind. Relizer! Its limning witch-light gave its cowl endless depth. No! I defy you! His demigod status gave him an idea. Remembering the sight of Gaewan concentrating on a spell, he sought out the sensations to alter his form, but changed the direction of the energy. It posed more of a challenge than he suspected, and he struggled to contain the sudden flood of sensations that shivered through his body. Sweat beaded on his brow despite the chill, and he gasped for breath as if suddenly weighed down with large stones. He was rewarded for his attempt with a burst of piercing white light radiating out from his body. 
Acting intuitively, he swept his trembling hand palm outward and directed the light to form a new wall of protection. But keeping the light, the energy under control was proving very difficult. Only pure determination kept him from losing the tenuous restraint he wrestled to maintain, keeping the shape-shifting from happening. His stomach knotted and twisted with the strain, and a small thought wondered if this was how enchanters felt when they channeled power. Shocked at this new demonstration of Paul's abilities, Marie glanced at his eyes. The untamed fire smoldering there scared her. She knew he acted for her protection. Yet something is wrong. The specters sought to kill all those involved with bringing him to Fayek. Now they had drawn him into the conflict and forced him to realize his power. But she knew from the Freethinker's teachings that... When light meets dark, the results are usually catastrophic. You will not harm us. The faceless hood lifted slightly, as if in new recognition. By your defiance, have you accepted responsibility? Paul, no! Marie grabbed his head and forced him to look at her. The intensity of his expression made her quake, the cold stare of the raptor gazing right through her. Don't do this! You can't win in a fight against them? Yes, I can! His head shook uncontrollably in her hands. No, Paul, don't you see? They have no life of their own. They are darkness seeking to counteract and devour light. His eyes flared and he raised his fists aggressively as if to push her back then grunted with exertion. Control of the energy was slipping away. Then I will overcome them. They will kill no more. You can't take the responsibility. It's not your doing. They said you don't belong here. If you fight them, then you allow them to kill both of us. Then what am I supposed to do? I am a demigod. I have the power. No, you don't. The specter's whip was dropped and it sword unsheathed. All three raised their blades to strike at the barrier of white light shimmering around a man and woman. Marie locked her arms around Paul's neck, not letting him see them. No, don't look at them. All the night in the world can't blow out a single candle. But that same candle can't push back all the darkness either. We can only be for each other, a flame unto itself. We must be for love, or we lose everything. But they... No, Paul. It's not about them. It's about us. What brought you here? Them or me? Who is more important? His imperious stare hardened for just an instant. Then he dropped his fists and hugged her close, releasing everything but her. Marie. Three swords cut down into the glowing shield. A deafening explosion slammed through the hall. His light was swallowed and thunder ripped through the palace. Marie was flattened against the wall by the blast with Paul pressed against her. As the cacophonous echoes subsided, he sagged in her arms, then fell limp to the floor. When her eyes recovered from the flash, she stared with astonishment. A faint light came from outside. Across from them, the corridor had been blown outward through her chamber and the outer wall. The patter of rain drifted inside as the wail of tortured banshees faded into the stormy night. Turning her attention back to Paul, she sat on the rubble-littered floor and touched his motionless form beside her. Getting no response, she lifted his head tenderly and laid it in her lap. Shouts of alarm and the clamor of booted feet descended the stairs nearby. <laughs> Voices shouted as soldiers ran and weapons rattled, the palace erupting with alarm. One royal guardsman officer marched purposefully in the opposite direction of the others. Staring straight ahead, he strode down the grand entrance hall toward the outer doors and nodded expectantly at the sentry. 
With a perfunctory motion, the younger man reached for the closer of the two latches on the doors, then paused, hoping to get some first-hand information. What's all the excitement about, Captain? The officer halted mid-stride, blinked, then turned to look at his inferior coldly. Has someone been hurt? We heard a terrible noise. The younger man realized his own audacity from his superior stare, but his curiosity was stronger than his discipline. Regardless, a simple nod to his question would have sufficed. Yes, others have gone to help. Keep your post. As you command, sir. He saluted smartly and opened the door for his superior. The captain hurried outside into the rain without another glance. Hearing the door shut behind him, the captain's form blurred and changed. Glad for the obscurity of darkness and rain, Enchanter Gaewan staggered with fatigue as he half-walked, half-groped for the wrought-iron gates at the perimeter of the palace grounds. I've got to be away. If he, an Enchanter, were found nearby, he would be accused of causing the destruction. Not only that, if Paul and Marie were dead, he would be executed for murder. <sighs> Male. He put a hand to his aching brow. The illusion of being captain had been agonizingly difficult to maintain after his encounter with Paul and the Spectres. He grabbed for the horn and heaved himself wearily into the saddle, then leaned forward and rested himself on his steed's mane. <sighs> Deeply worried with whether or not he had succeeded, whether or not they survived, but knew there was nothing more he could do. Anywhere, Molly. Just get us out of this cold rain. <sighs> of Doom, Part 2, Agents of the Dark One. The sound plays were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2022. Character voices are performed by William Bloxham, Geraldine Cummings, Kevin Norris, Ira Lively, Todd Suarez, and H, the Great and Powerful. The novel and sequels of the Quintology are available through Amazon.com or on Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly and at best price, with additional bonuses from the author by submitting a request to our email. Music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by Evan McDonald, Florian Serral, Francesco D'Andrea, Atlas Mason, High Street Music of London and licensed by PremiumBeat.com Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons More detailed music and performer credits can be requested from the Harkin Theatre at Yahoo.com Sound effects and original foley provided by Cusp Studios and the BBC Library This was recorded on location in the universe.